Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Three. Does Julio Jones still have it? Is Friedman still in love with A.J. Dillon? And he's giving us a bold prediction on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin alongside Curtis Patrick. We're two of the owners here at Rotoviz. We are joined by the Chief Strategy Officer at the FTN Network, COO of Bets Media, and an advisor at Top Prop Sports. That is Matthew Friedman. While we are actually recording this episode, there are some big happenings going on right now. In the New Orleans Saints, Jacksonville Jaguars preseason game, the week two or preseason, we'll call it week two game. Looks like Jameis Winston might have taken this job. Some other interesting happenings going on. Curtis, what has been the most surprising thing that you've seen at this point uh, that has come out of where the game is? I mean, Marquez Callaway looks like he's going to be a smash, uh, a smash fantasy value in the double digit rounds uh, until his ADP uh, corrects for a month. This has been, I mean, we, we talked about this, I think back in July as a, a possible target. I was actually maybe even two weeks ago on an episode, I discovered that I'd been drafting him uh, as like a final round target on some underdog stuff and actually had exposure in the FFPC best ball tournament um, before the Michael Thomas drama um, had had really come to a head and we understood that he was going to miss, you know, significant time this year, but Callaway over a hundred yards, two touchdowns, five receptions in this game looks like a legitimate deep threat, le- legitimate alpha wide receiver could be really exciting for the saints. If they can manage to patch things up with Michael Thomas could be potentially the first like actual complimentary uh, passing game weapon uh, to him in his time there um, other than, you know, Alvin Kamara has brought out of the backfield. So, um, you know, I think, you know, I think Winston proved that he brings a downfield element that perhaps Taysom Hill doesn't. Um, and, you know, I, I think Sean Payton was waiting for someone to make a statement. Um, and it looks like Jameis made a statement. I mean, throwing daggers downfield nine of 10, uh, well over a hundred yards and two touchdowns in about a quarter of play. Um, so good on you, Jameis. Very possible by the time this airs on Friday, we've already heard an announcement from Sean Payton, but if we haven't, um, 
if, if we haven't heard an announcement, I would definitely encourage people to continue drafting Marquez Callaway until he gets into the, you know, round eight, round nine uh, area, because I just don't know how he won't have a hundred plus targets this year. He's definitely being underdrafted. Freeman, give me your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, Marquez Callaway, obviously intriguing for all the reasons that Curtis laid out there. Uh, I got to say, Jawan Johnson is a guy who also really intrigues me. Uh, and in part, so as we're recording this, we're not sure uh, the extent of the injury, but um, it looks like Adam Troutman was injured. Uh, but even before that, uh, Jawan Johnson was the tight end who had been getting a lot of hype um, from, uh, from the, the beat reporters down in New Orleans. Uh, multiple beat reporters most recently, Nick Underhill, who is, you know, I would say is really like the ace beat reporter for the Saints. Uh, he was talking about Juwan Johnson and how he really looks like the receiving threat in the tight end room. So uh, if Adam Troutman is injured, even if Troutman isn't injured, Johnson is a guy that I'm starting to acquire and you can get him for free. You Like he's going undrafted all over the place. So He's a guy I'm really looking at in a lot of leagues. Yeah, so definitely a lot to monitor there as a result of this game. Uh, we'll pivot off of that, though, as we're going to have to wait for more information to come out before we can really solidify any strong opinions. I want to start with Julio Jones now in Tennessee. Still, I think one of the better receivers in the league will be paired with A.J. Brown and what should be a really solid duo uh, that Ryan Tannehill, a quarterback I actually am going to be pretty exposed to this year, throwing passes their way. Matt, are you expecting Julio to prosper in a way that we've seen in years past in 2021? Or do you see do you think that we see him take a backseat to the younger Brown and we've kind of reached a point where we need to reassess who Julio is as a fantasy asset. Well, on the the last show we recorded together, we talked about some of the wide receivers going in this range and Curtis mentioned, uh, you know, not having much of an interest in Julio Jones, you know, like DJ Moore is going in a similar draft range would rather have DJ Moore, uh, you know, and, and I understand that. I do think he is going to be, uh, the secondary receiver in that offense behind AJ Brown, but I I actually think it's going to be fairly close to even. You know, mm -hmm. like he's you know, let's say it's a difference of ten targets, fifteen targets over the course of a season. Um, and maybe I'm just being way too optimistic about Julio Jones, but he was still on a, a per route basis, a per target basis last year, one of the best receivers in the league. And in the seven full games he was healthy, he had 700 yards receiving. <laughs> like that's just, that's sort of typical Julio Jones. Now, he, granted, he's going into a totally new offense, new quarterback, you know, new surroundings, everything is new. And so we should expect there to be, uh, you know, an adjustment. Um, but still, I, I think even if he has fewer targets in general, those targets are likely to be more efficient because of the types of routes he's going to be running. Uh, you know, and I would also say just more play action, like more play action in that Tennessee offense, which I would expect to result in a higher efficiency. So I don't think he's going to be the Julio who's, you know, throwing up 1400 yard seasons, but I do think he could have, you know, like if things go well, 
I think he could have like 1200. That's probably optimistic, but I would say like a, a thousand seems very reasonable with significant room for upside. So um, I have more exposure to Julio Jones than most people probably do. I would say the one thing that probably keeps me from having more exposure is DJ Moore going in the same draft range. So, I mean, I, I will take DJ Moore over Julio Jones, uh, you know, eight and a half times out of 10, probably nine times out of 10. But, um, you know, sometimes it, it just DJ Moore is already off the board, whatever it is, then there's Julio Jones. Um, but I, I am very interested in Julio Jones this year. I think he's too cheap. Yeah, I think what's what's interesting about your point there is if you really don't think there's going to be much of a difference, maybe a target a game or something between AJ Brown and Julio Jones. That I mean, that basically makes AJ Brown a total fade. Um, I don't have much AJ Brown exposure. I've been opting for Justin Jefferson in that spot. They have nearly identical ADPs. Um, Darren Waller was available in that range of drafts. Uh, you know, back in the March, April, May. Uh, time frame, you know, before he really shot up the boards, uh, where, where does that actually put you on AJ Brown? Am I calling that correctly, uh, Matt, or are you kind of, you know, trying to, to manage exposure to both of them and just have a piece of the passing attack? No, there? I, you're, you're right. I don't have much AJ Brown and, yeah. and that's like no disrespect to AJ Brown. I think he's got a pretty good yeah. chance of being a top 12 wide receiver this year, but I, I think Julio does as well. Like I could see them both being top 12 wide receivers, which seems, uh, you know, kind of unrealistic giving the passing volume. But, you know, like we've seen situations like this before, where even in an offense that isn't throwing the ball all that much, think of like, I don't know, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen last year or something like that. You can have two guys in a run-based offense still dominate targets to the extent where if they're efficient with their targets, they can both end up balling out. So, uh, but you're right. I, in that, you know, old school Rotoviz type of way, I view Julio Jones as the arbitrage play on AJ Brown. And I would just, yes. I would just rather wait a couple of rounds. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and then that makes total sense. I mean, we're, we're definitely of like mind there. Um, I think the two biggest questions that I have about Julio um, and to be fair, um, I have, uh, I don't know, I think about 15% Julio um, in, in best ball. Um, so a little bit overweight, but like not crazy. Um, I don't mind him if, you know, DJ Moore's off the board, if Cooper cups off the board, uh, and, um, you know, most of that exposure predated my interest in, in Daryl Henderson. Like it was like pre cam Akers um, injury as well. Uh, so I should provide that layer of context, but, you know, going over to Tennessee, you know, I expect a lot of positive uh, game scripts for them um, run heavy second halves. So obviously I think Tennessee is still going to be pretty good. They'd probably be better than they've, they've been even in the recent past. Um, so, you know, which wide receiver are they scripting the first down passing looks to? Um, and then also, you know, Julio played his entire career, basically, you know, save a game or two maybe with Matt Ryan um, and, you know, Matt Ryan famously, you know, he didn't look Julio's way. Uh, in the end zone, will Ryan Tannehill, um, you know, I don't think anybody thinks that Julio's lack of, of touchdown scoring, uh, or touchdown rate in his career has anything to do with talent. I mean, he's a big bodied tall receiver, uh, who has amazing body control. Uh, he just only has one double digit, uh, touchdown, uh, receiving season. And it was way back in 2012, his second year in the league. Will Ryan Tannehill perhaps prefer, Julio as his touchdown option 
and uh, AJ as is his target hog. Um, so I, you know, it's, it is really interesting. You know, typically we fade receivers uh, switching teams, um, but you know, hey, if you're going to put a bet down on a guy switching teams. Uh, one of the best receivers of all time seems like a reasonable bet. Uh, and, you know, within the context of the offense, a guy who looks like a value uh, comparatively to A.J. Brown, you know, I, th- I think it makes a lot of sense there. So I'm playing it right down the middle on Julio. Matt's uh, a little bit optimistic there. Uh, Dave, why don't you throw in your two cents before we switch topics? Yeah, so I actually have come around to being more optimistic on Julio than I was kind of expecting. A lot of that comes from the fact that and it's kind of funny that Matt threw out 1,000 or I think it was 1,200 yards, kind of to that range for Julio. Because in my projections, I end up with him at 1,100 yards, pretty much on the nose. Now, of course, that could be off, but really, I think that the Tennessee offense is one of the ones that it was easier for me to project and feel good about, given the fact that in the receiving game, it's really uh, Julio. And A.J. Brown, we know that the way that they're going to operate running the ball, they're probably not going to have the highest target volume. It is interesting when you look at A.J. Brown last year, ranked 30 in targets, ended up finishing sixth in PPR per game. So that was a pretty efficient season. He was ranked fourth in fantasy points over expectation per game. A large part of why he was up so high was he ranked fifth in total touchdowns. So you have that disparity there. As it relates to Julio, though, I am expecting that they both come in. They're able to make the most of the work that is there and be pretty efficient. So I'm actually pretty high on both players, to be honest. Uh, I know Julio is kind of in that odd range where I'm not going to be drafting him all the time because I do agree that I'm probably going to be preferring to go with the youth, going with the guys like DJ Moore. But I want to toss back an additional question to Friedman here, which is it sounds like, and I think Curtis might have hit upon this, but I want to confirm this. You are not necessarily viewing AJ Brown as a wide receiver one. Like you think there's a question to this? Well, I mean, do you mean I'll just take it both ways? Like I I think AJ Brown is a wide receiver one in fantasy. Like he should be going in that, in that range. Yep. Um, And I think he is the wide receiver one on his team. I just don't think it's a marked difference in terms of the target volume that both guys are going to be getting. So, you know, like not the massive discrepancy, let's say like Devonte Adams and whoever ends up being the number two receiver in green Bay, there will be a massive target difference between them. I think Brown's the number one, but I don't think the target difference between him and Jones is going to be all that significant. Got it. Okay. I think that makes perfect yeah, sense. I mean, this is very similar to the DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, yeah. Uh, you know, situation uh, or the Amari Cooper, CD lamb, you know, situation. Um, So yeah, I I totally agree there. And and I also think that, you know, given the very few players who have that chance of that 150, 180 target upside, you know, we're really talking about Stefan Diggs, uh, Devonte Adams, maybe Calvin Ridley, Deandre Hopkins beyond that. Um, there's kind of a tear break in terms of that elite um, target. So uh, elite target opportunity this year, either because of low overall team passing volume um, or because of, you know, the context of the wide receiver room and um, inability to get enough of the target share to post the big numbers like that. And I think the Titans wide receiver room certainly falls into that category where neither one of these guys, I don't think has wide receiver one overall 
upside. It's probably, you know, could, you know, could they both potentially be low end wide receiver ones? Yeah. I mean, um, I, I want to give a shout out to Ben Gretsch here. He wrote, you know, it didn't play this way. So this article is probably forgotten uh, in fantasy history because Derrick Henry ended up having like an all time rushing season. Um, but one, actually one of my favorite articles written by anyone in fantasy football in, in 2020 was Ben's take on the Titans offense from a tournament perspective. And like, what would happen if Derrick Henry all of a sudden couldn't, you know, handle the workload anymore, if he had a precipitous drop off in his performance, or if he were injured and we got hero Tannehill and hero AJ Brown. Well, if that happened this year, like hero Tannehill with AJ Brown and Julio Jones, um, it's really, really interesting. So I think from like a, a tournament perspective, um, the idea of maybe even uh, the triple Titan stack not involving Derrick Henry um, with AJ Brown, Julio Jones and Ryan Tannehill. Like when, when you're looking for that 0.1% percentile uh, outcome, um, that's really interesting. So a little hot tip to Ben there. I think that's the type of, um, you know, galaxy brain type thinking that it takes uh, sometimes to, to win uh, the big bucks in a mega tournament and uh, maybe some food for thought there uh, before we transition. I, I just gotta say, I love that. I, I think that's a great idea because the thing is that trio could hit even if Derrick Henry no, never suffers an injury. You know what I mean? So like the, there are multiple ways in which that could end up going off and then it could really go off if the injury hits, but there's, there's significant upside with all three of those guys anyway, just in, in a normal scenario. So I, I love that idea. Yeah, that is that is some high level galaxy brain stuff right there. Love that. Uh, Friedman, in terms of the rookie quarterbacks in 2021, what's your strategy? And just to give you a little kind of a context here, I guess I'm ultimately asking, are there any of these guys that you're going after as we still haven't seen Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Trevor Lawrence, any of these young passers approach a point where their ADP pushes them up to a range where... Um, you know, you might start to get uncomfortable about taking a quarterback. Trey Lance is starting to get there. Like he's yep. starting to be pushed out, especially in particular drafts, you know, like industry drafts. Um, but I'm still, I'm still looking more at Jalen Hurts versus Lance and Fields and Lawrence. So, Love Jalen, uh, love Jalen Hurts over here. You're, so you're speaking going. our love language, Matt. Yeah. And we we love Jalen Hurts yeah. on this podcast. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, given that they're going not exactly the same range, but you know, a round or two within each other. Um, you know, look, looking now at the the ADP tool, uh, you know, for FFPC. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm more on Jalen Hurts, so that means just necessarily I'm getting less Lance. Fields and Lawrence. My favorite of the three is Lance, although I'm a little, I'm a little more worried about his his inroad to starting. Like I think Justin Fields is likely to start within the first six games this year, uh, likelier than Trey Lance, because I mean there is a scenario where the 49ers win games with Jimmy Garoppolo. Like they have won games in the past with Jimmy Garoppolo uh, and, you know, against the spread, you know, and there's sort of the adage of, you know, like good teams win, great teams cover, like Jimmy Garoppolo covers, you know? And, and so it's not just that he's winning, he's exceeding expectations, at least within that offense. Now, 
like he's more of the game manager. He doesn't have the overall ceiling that Trey Lance has. But at this stage of their career, if Jimmy Garoppolo wins games, he might be able to keep that job for a lot longer than fantasy players want. And so uh, I like Lance's upside. I'm just a little more hesitant about his ability to get the starting job because of the guy in front of him. Justin Fields, all he has to do is outlast Andy Dalton. <laughs> you know, and Andy Dalton's playing against the Rams in week one. So, I, you know, Justin <laughs> Fields, I, I feel like he's got a pretty good chance to start sooner rather than later. But bottom line is I'm, I'm looking at Jalen Hurts, so I'm looking a little bit less at the rookies. Yeah, we're going to love that answer over here. We've talked enough about Hurts that I think we can move on. All right, Matt, we are going to now put you through a little bit of a lightning round here. Okay, so I would say that these answers have to be, you know, pretty rapid, but I think we all know that that's probably not going to happen. Um, before, though, I got to ask, have you made any progress on reading any of the Game of Thrones books or Dune? Progress. I, I've never intended to read any of these books. So the answer, the answer is no. All right. So the question to go. By, by the way, the, the sound effects have really improved since I left the show. Oh, I appreciate that. You know, a lot of people, when I started first rolling these out, did not like them. So what I started doing is playing them at a slightly lower volume. I think they're a little more palatable that way. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, AJ Dillon. Up. We need to assert our dominance. We need to assert our dominance. Turn it's them up. It's a whole bunch of alphas. Louder, louder sound effects. So high T, just dropping these, these sound effects. Uh, Before history is written. It's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Okay, AJ Dillon at running back 35 or Gus Edwards at running back 43. Who you got? Gus Edwards, uh, Gus the bus. Although I, I do like the the thunder thighs that AJ Dillon has. So are we off of AJ Dillon? Self promotion. Quick self promotion. I'm interrupting this part of the podcast to say I'm playing in a fantasy league with AJ Dillon. We draft. Uh, we drafted yesterday as of when this podcast uh, is playing. So I don't know who um, I don't know who I drafted because uh, recording this three days before, uh, but I look forward to taking AJ Dillon down. Um, he has the one one. I have the one Oh seven. We'll have to report back on that next week, Dave Curtis. If you do not draft AJ Dillon just to own AJ Dillon in his own league, <laughs> yes. uh, then, then what, are you, what are you doing? Yeah, it's going to be uh, there's probably 11 uh, or 10 other analysts um, with that same exact thought. Uh, but I also think there'll be a little bit of pressure on AJ to select himself at the 101. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have, to, we'll have to see what he does there. It's I great really... to be the 102 in that league. <laughs> yes, I yes. really hope he goes with Aaron Jones. <laughs> oh, that'd be so amazing. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Sorry to derail. No, that's uh, fine. I, yeah, I have that's cool. I, I was like, I, I just wanted to get that in there because it's going to be super fun. I have a ton of questions about that. Uh, we'll have to get to those next week, though. All right. Juju at wide receiver 30 or Michael Gallup at wide receiver 41. Ooh, that's a good one. I 
prefer Michael Gallup in part because he's cheaper. Um, his offense, I think, is going to be better. And, uh, you know, Amari Cooper is already kind of dealing with some sort of injury issues. Like, Cooper should be fine for week one. But, you know, like, if, if Cooper has an injury or if CeeDee Lamb doesn't develop the way that people expect, then Gallup could have a pretty massive season. Whereas Juju, like, I like him, but I think we kind of have a sense of the range of where he is. Got it. All right. Please rank the first six tight ends and tell me how much of a disparity there is between your tier one and your tier two where it breaks. Okay. Uh, Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, George Kittle, by the way, uh, Dave, I remember, uh, you know, months ago we uh, kind of disagreed. I think I had Kittle number two and you were like, Hey, I think Waller should be number two. And I was like, I don't know, man, but I, I, you're right. I I came around. Waller's number two. uh, Kittle is number three. Um, I, I believe at this point there's the tier break. Uh, I have Kyle Pitts number four, and then at this point, it's sort of tough for me. I would say um, I have Andrews, I think, number five, and then Hawkinson, number six. But if you had them flipped, I wouldn't really uh, debate that too much. Um, I think there's a pretty significant difference between Kelsey and Waller and Kittle, uh, which is why I'm, I'm willing to go really high on Kelsey, even in non-tight end premium leagues. Um, just because I, I think the the high floor that he has, especially like you look at what he did at the end of last season. I mean, he was just he was getting double digit targets every game. Maybe that doesn't continue, but, you know, no Sammy Watkins in that offense this year. I mean, he's pretty much the number two receiver, kind of the number one receiver. So uh, Kelsey is the big the big tier unto himself. And then Waller and Kittle that's here. Uh, and then uh, I'd say a pretty significant difference between those two and Kyle Pitts. Uh, although Pitts has significant upside, he is still a rookie. Uh, and then I'd say a small teardrop in Hawkinson and Andrews. Curtis, what do you think of that? It's, it's hard to really argue. Uh, I definitely agree with uh, Matt's assessment of the top three. Uh, Kelsey tier break, Waller Kittle tier break. I would probably order that next group a little differently. And I actually think there's a fourth receiver uh, or a fourth tight end that belongs in that group too. I think um, Logan Thomas will have enough volume, particularly in tight end premium uh, to put himself into that picture. Um, I would, I feel most comfortable with Mark Andrews at four. Uh, We just have the most from him uh, looking like a really good uh, NFL player and the Ravens wide receiver core is decimated right now. I think Andrews is going to smash true. in September and get off to a really hot start. Um, and I just, li- I like targeting the players uh, and maybe in a better offense there. So, um, you know, Hawkinson and tight end premium more attractive than just in straight PPR. Cause I think volumes, how he'll get there, not necessarily touchdowns. Um, I would have Andrews and then Pitts, uh, then Hawkinson, then Thomas. So just, I mean, slight differences there. Um, uh, and because of where they're going in ADP, I think Andrews is like the best value at tight end right now. Uh, because I, you know, I have him at four. He's being drafted at six uh, in the fourth round. Uh, you don't really have to reach on him. So I actually would put Hawkinson at four. I'm not even sure that Pitts would get in there because Jared Cook has to sneak into the top six. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding there. I'm just kidding there. But no, I think I, I, I actually would potentially make a case that you have Hawkinson at four. Maybe you have Andrews at fifth, and then Noah Fant at six. I'm, I'm kind of worried about 
slotting pits in to be able to be successful early enough on in the season that at the end of the year, we're actually seeing him finish there. Perhaps if we were talking about the second half of the year, I'd be more inclined to put him into that scenario. Matt, I know we always talk about the slow development of tight ends. Do you think Pitts is good enough that he gets into action and starts going at that aggressive pace right away? Yeah, I think there are, there are two ways of thinking about this. One is the sort of the upside and the downside scenarios where um, if he hits, he could be massive. And if he misses, I don't think he misses by much. Okay. So I would I would be fine having him as the tight end four. And so that that's one way of looking at it. And then the other way of looking at it is just thinking about sort of like points per game or total fantasy points. How does he rank at the end of the season? And uh, yeah, we talked about the slow development of rookie tight ends, but I would say Kyle Pitts is different in that like he literally is generational in that we've never seen a tight end have the combination of draft capital, physical profile, and college production that we've seen out of Kyle Pitts. You know, Vernon Davis came close in that he had the draft capital, he had a superior physical profile, didn't have the college production. So no, no one in NFL history has the exact combination that Kyle Pitts has had. Uh, and then on top of that, um, he, I think honestly has wide receiver type of capabilities. He's a wide receiver in a tight ends body. And like, that's even gestured towards by the, <coughs> by the fact that last year he was a Bolitnikoff finalist and like people think of the Bolitnikoff as a wide receiver award. And it traditionally is, but it's for the top pass catchers in college football and last year, Kyle Pitts became the first tight end in history to be a Bolitnikoff finalist. You know, like that kind of indicates the type of pass catching receiver like skills that he has. And then now, of course, with Julio Jones in Tennessee, there are targets available. And so I do think that he's going to function almost as the number two wide receiver within that offense. Uh, we know that, uh, you know, new coach, uh, you know, offensive play caller, Arthur Smith is a too tight end set kind of guy. And so I do expect that there will be a lot of Hayden Hurst and Kyle Pitts on the field together with Kyle Pitts basically functioning as a big slot receiver. Uh, and so I do think within that context, we could see Kyle Pitts have a season that puts him in the top four. All right. Fair enough. Curtis, looks like you have a thought there. Yeah, I just I think that uh, Matt was spot on when he said he probably either smashes. Uh, uh, well, so I, I actually want to clarify. So you said he either smashes or doesn't miss by much. So if he smashes, you know, he's very mispriced at his ADP of 32 and tight end premium. You know, if he gets up into that Waller Kittle area, he's a huge value, probably has a huge win rate because of the players you were selecting in front of him and then still getting him. If he misses, though, I'm a little worried about what that means when you, you know, he basically fits in with the rest of that uh, tier who you can get one to three rounds below him. I mean, like if he approximates Logan Thomas's production when you can get him, you know, in the seventh round, that's a pretty big swing and a miss based off of who you got to select Kyle Pitts in front of. So he's kind of shaping up. I mean, I think he's a very very uh controversial player this year it seems like everyone's either all in or total fade um i i have like a couple accidental shares um from uh a few drafts i'm just fading i'm fading the situation because of you know what nfl history has shown us about even the best tight end prospects of all time 
um, you know, like the best tight end rookie season of all time. We still haven't seen somebody post a thousand yards as a rookie. I don't think we've seen any rookie tight ends post 10 plus touchdowns as a rookie. Those are things that he's probably gonna have to do to justify the, the, the mid round three investment. I definitely think he, if there's anybody that can do it, it is going to be him. Um, so Dave, I think my question kicking back to you is does Pitts fit the profile of a total fade or an all in type player? Uh, I, I'm asking because we probably have to draft our main event team this weekend and I just need to know how to prepare. So, well, of course, like all things, there's going to be nuance in that if we're playing like a main event league, I'm going to take the swing on the fact that Pitts does become, you know, the generational type of player that breaks those trends. Because I think that if we want to win in a tournament like that, we're going to have to identify one of those types of players. And I do think that if you're looking for a guy like that, Pitts is one of the most compelling options. Uh, so he's not a complete fade. If I'm playing in like a league though, that's contained in and of itself. I'm probably actually not going out and taking that chance on pits, which might be silly because I could just backfill my roster with Jared cook later on or a tight end like that. But I think the opportunity cost at that point is outweighed using every opportunity I can get here to talk about Jared cook. I have a very yeah. important question we're, though for Matt. We're going to have to ask you a follow-up question on Jared cook at the end of the episode. Uh, just, Friedman, let's put a point, point of order. Point of order. <laughs> I just want <laughs> Curtis, really embarrassing moment for you. Uh, you forgot that Mike Ditka back in 1961 did have over a thousand yards and had 12 touchdowns. So a tight end oh, in, in NFL history -NFL. has has actually hit those marks. modern. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, major egg on face moment if we're going to go pre 1970. So uh, Ditka, man, uh, yeah, uh, she, I'll I'll have to find out if he has a foundation or something, and, and I'll throw a couple bucks that way. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks for that stat, Paul Friedman. <laughs> Good grief. All right, so uh, here's the question, Matt. Back in the spring, when we were talking about Puka Williams, uh, you know, athletic dynamo out of Kansas State. You made the statement, I believe Puka Williams put up four reps on the bench. You made the statement that you thought you could bench more. Uh, have you been, I, I think that you may have been hitting the gym. Have you, uh, you know, been on a bench press as of late? And how are you feeling about that bold claim right now? I, I have not been on a bench press as of late. Uh, but if I would, this, this is like in the realm where we start to get into bets. We would need to think of like a, a number of days number of months I'm given, you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, like, I mean, when I was uh, in grad school and working out, I'd say like six times a week. Yeah, I, I could have crushed that. Uh, so uh, I don't think it would take all that much effort to get back to the point of being able to put up 225 five times to beat Puka Williams. All right. And is this clean or, you know, are you, are you going back on steroids, back on HGH, any of that it's, stuff? It's clean. <laughs> clean I'm, you insulted. I am insulted. Uh, I, I channeled the willpower of Mike Ditka to put up these bench press reps. Okay. No, no oh drugs are going into this. All right. Give me your uh, bold prediction for 2021. It's an obligatory question I have to ask. A, a bold prediction uh, yep. just for my own uh, sake of knowledge. Am I also going to be required after this to give uh, some life advice or is it just a bold prediction? No, no, no you're going to be doing both. Okay. 
But wow. the life advice can't be to not follow your bold prediction, right? Like, you're not going to be utilizing <laughs> any loopholes, you know. And I, I mean, I know you crushed the L, you know, the LSAT, but I'm not going to let you get away with any of those types of maneuvers here. Dave, I, I'm shocked that you saw through my transparent scheme. Uh, okay, <laughs> so my my bold, I'll say I wrote a bold predictions article, and, you know, like, some of them I'm already like, yeah, I, I don't. I don't like that. So for instance, my number two bold prediction was, you know, of course, Cam Akers associated, which like that one is already in the grave. So, uh, you know, but out of the, the bold calls that I still look at, I'm like, yeah, I can see that. Uh, Russell Wilson will be the number one fantasy quarterback. And I think it's a situation where for the entire season, we actually might see Russ cook uh, based on DK Metcalf entering his third year the team extending Tyler Lockett, adding Gerald Everett. Uh, For me, one of the big signs is even though they have these pass catchers with the first pick they had in the draft in the second round, they added yet another wide receiver, whether Dwayne Eskridge actually ends up doing anything or not for the team, that's to be determined. But I think it signals a commitment to the passing game. And then you add on top of that the fact that they are bringing in a new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, from the Rams, where he was the passing game coordinator. Uh, and so Gerald Everett coming with him to Seattle, I think, is another good sign here. And that defense still is not very good. Uh, and so it's a situation where even if the team in an, an ideal world for them doesn't want Russell Wilson to throw that much, he might be throwing more this year than he was last year. And given the types of targets he puts out there, you know, throwing downfield, throwing frequently to the end zone, even if he has just a little bit of a surge uh, in passing volume, that could end up with a little luck being a pretty significant swing in the fantasy points that he scores. So I will say as a bold call, Russell Wilson as the number one fantasy quarterback. Wow. All right. Curtis, uh, just uh, you think there's any validity to that bold prediction? Sure, uh, I, I think it, I think um, quarterback bold calls are super smart ones to make because quarterback uh, fantasy performance year over year, uh, it, it's super difficult to repeat as the overall QB one. Uh, it's only been done, you know, a, a couple times um, ever. Um, and even to repeat as a top five is very, very difficult. So, you know, I like the idea, you know, it's one of the, one of the reasons that, uh, and, and not that Russ is a late round quarterback, but you know, one of the, the tenets of kind of that idea many years ago when it was popularized was, you know, there are values that don't come up because there, there isn't that high end, you know, repeatable performance year after year. And even the thing is, is like, that's a, a, another reason that one's super smart is because. Uh, he could, he could smash. And if other people smash, then you can be like, well, it, you know, it, you know, he smashed. It's not my fault. Then Mahomes threw 65 <laughs> touchdowns. Um, so, so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a suit, like it's a bold call that works. Cause it's not super unrealistic. Like you don't have to squint that hard to see it. Um, but it's also like, it's not going to like harm people. If, if, if people hear that take and they're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take Russ Wilson around ahead of ADP now and four Seattle Seahawks stacks, like Matt didn't just ruin, you know, people's fantasy portfolios. So I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a responsible. Bold yeah, I mean, it's not like I'm saying Jared Cook is going to be the number one tight end like you are. Okay. <laughs> 
right. So on Friday afternoons or whenever people listen to this, Curtis normally gets us out of here with an inspirational thought, some type of uplifting message. We want some life advice right now or some type of uplifting message from Matthew E. Friedman. What do you got for us? Well, first, I think you should subscribe to FTN Network. No, I'm just <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, you should. And use the promo code Friedman for 10% off. Okay, but actual life advice. Um, I had a, a tweet. You know, I, I do AMAs from time to time. Starting to pick that up again as the season approaches. And so I, I had a tweet. Someone asked for, uh, you know, advice. If you're breaking into the industry, you know, you want to get into the fantasy industry, writing, all that stuff. And so uh, I had seven items here. Have actionable content. Don't overwrite. Be yourself. Be unique. Work hard. Be funny. Of course, I'd include that one. And hit deadlines. And then I would say to that, I would add an eighth point, which you know I think is uh, you know really important for people to remember, just kind of in life, but also just interacting with people on social media, whatever it is. You know, sometimes we're in an industry where people can you know kind of be contentious with each other. Just you know, like. Yeah, be reasonable, like be respectful, like, you know, be, be nice. Don't, don't be a punk to each other. So, you know, I think you, you put the seven, uh, tenets that I have with the eighth one of like, you know, just be a decent person. Um, I, I think those eight things together can take you far. Awesome. I mean, I don't think you're going to get any disagreement with either of us on any of those points. So Matt, we really appreciate you taking the time to stop by with us this week. One more time, let everybody know where they can find you and some of the exciting things you might have coming out uh, during the season. So you can follow me on Twitter at Matt F the Oracle. And, uh, you know, I have my, uh, my work coming out at FTN network, uh, fantasy and sports betting. Uh, I'm going to be doing a show on Bets Media, uh, Bets TV, uh, during the season, probably five days a week. We're trying to decide exactly uh, how long each day it's going to be. Anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours. Imagine that, two hours each day of Friedman. It sounds horrible. I, not even I want to do that. So I'm, I'm shooting for more than 30 minutes. And then I am an advisor, business advisor, not life advisor, uh, at Top Prop, a new DFS platform, which is launching in September. Be sure to check it out. Awesome. Well, we are uh, you know, really thrilled that we got Friedman back here. I'm sure we will get him back at some point. Uh, so we thank him for stopping by. And everyone else, make sure that you stop by again next week as we get ready for the final push to the season. Thanks for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. Email us at RotovizFFShow at gmail.com. Visit rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information on listener only discounts. And until next time, thanks for stopping by.